Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. As we look into Luke chapter 11, the Lord's teaching his disciples about prayer. Um, He'll use parables of the persistent friend. The next section is about the casting out of demons by a demon. The parable of the unclean spirit leaving a man. Then we'll look at the book of Jonah. Uh, the parable of the lighted candle, and then Jesus denouncing the Pharisees. So let's look uh, at the first four verses tonight, something we're very, very familiar with. Um, Unfortunately, this has turned into one of those prayers that you can say very, very quickly, and um, it can lose uh, the meaning of it. Came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, When he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Of course, the rest of it for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Now, the reason the disciple wanted to know how to pray was that he was actually watching the Lord pray himself. And it was a custom of um, our Lord often just to retire, and whenever I read something like this, and it has become so repetitive. Um, I was at a funeral this week. We very seldom, if ever, recite this. By the way, it's not the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. They were asking the question, how do we pray? And um, I think um, Eric really didn't realize how important that last song we just sang actually is. Because it's probably one of the most heartfelt. It was written by Bill Waters, uh, who went to be with the Lord when he was 48 years old. And um, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. Um, Pastor Chuck heard the complete version of the song, Father. And it goes, then spirit, spirit, holy is your name. And Jesus, Jesus. And um, Chuck heard it. And he says, that is one of the most beautiful worship songs I ever heard. Who wrote it? And somebody said, well, some, some pastor in Wisconsin. And um, he says, his name is Bill Waters. And so Chuck picks up the phone and gets Bill's number, and calls Bill and says, Bill, this is Pastor Chuck. Now, you have to know that one of the inside things that Calvary Chapel pastors love to do it's to try to imitate Pastor Chuck by calling other, pa- other pastors for various reasons, telling them they're in some kind of trouble or whatever. And so when Bill got, got the phone and he said, hi, uh, hi Bill, this is Pastor Chuck. Um, uh, Bill is going, yeah, right. <laughs> so he's sort of paying no attention to him at all. And, and uh, Chuck said, you know that song that you wrote it really touched my heart. And um, uh, there's a guy named Jeff Johnson, a Calvary Chapel pastor, who can do Chuck so well. You, can't, you really can't tell the difference. I mean, he got me one time. 
And so Bill's just blowing Pastor Chuck off completely. He says, Bill, this, this really is Pastor Chuck talking. And after a minute or so, he realized it really was Chuck. <laughs> and all that to, um, to say this. Um, when the Lord said, do not pray vain, repetitious prayers, is because it loses the heart value and the intimacy that comes with communing with somebody. Now, I just want you to pause for a second. I want to get a little sidetracked here and talk about talking to the Lord. It is one thing to come to a Bible study. It is another thing to get up in the morning and do your devotions. It is another thing to listen to your favorite Christian um, Bible teacher. Even listen all day long. You can do all those things. But if you're not spending one-on-one time, quiet time, by yourself, this is what this is all about. The point of this prayer that got the disciples' attention is how the Lord was talking to his heavenly Father. And um, I think Bill's song is one of the best ways of, of describing it. If I could take the rest of the night and tell you the importance of communion rather than study, um, it is it's more important to have your one-on-one communication. Um, the Lord said, my sheep hear my voice, and they're drawn to me. And what he desires, and we talked about this on Sunday, is an intimate, personal relationship. A lot of people believe in Jesus Christ. Talk to a guy today who believes in Jesus Christ. But I don't believe for a second he knew Jesus Christ. Just by the way I was talking with him. He knew about him. He believed in him. But I don't think he knew him. So we could stop the Bible study right here. And you guys could walk out the door. And if that's what you took home with you. I'd be a happy camper. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And... um, This was the problem the church of Ephesus got into. Uh, John was known, who was a pastor in Ephesus. I'm talking, if you're taking notes, Revelation chapter two. And they had everything going for it, them as a church. But he said, I have one problem. You've left your first love. Now I want you to just take a moment and think, who is that person that you feel most comfortable talking to. I mean, when you see them, you can just dive into a conversation that is so normal and so casual and so comfortable because you're friends. And what did the Lord say about us? He says, I don't call you guys servants. He says, a master doesn't tell the servants what he's gonna do. I call you friends because I tell you everything that I'm going to do. And so the idea of, yes, I'm a have a real problem with people who talk about the big man in the sky or um, um, the big J or whatever. And um, instead of uh, the personalness of it, sort of, of a derogatory term by using it in that way. But what caught, we read here that um, when he was praying, he ceased. One of the disciples said to him, something about the way the Lord was talking to the Father captured this guy's attention. And he wanted to know, I want to do that, the way that you do that. So Lord, will you teach me to do that? 
And so he gives an outline here of um, things that we encounter from um, the preeminence of the Father, uh, his domain, ruling over all in heaven and earth, um, the necessity of uh, acknowledging our daily food, and um, the, I mean, we even have spiritual warfare in the last part of this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We'll be talking about that um, in just um, an instant here. But he takes it a step farther and goes on and tells the parable of the persistent friend, picking it up with verse five through 10. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I don't have anything to feed him. And he will answer from within and say, leave me alone, don't trouble me. The door's shut, the kids are with me in bed. I can't get up now. And I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he's a friend, yet because of his persistence, in other words, this guy's not gonna leave him alone. He's gonna keep nagging at this guy till the guy gets out of bed and gives him what he wants. And he said he's not doing it because they're buddies. He will rise and give him as many as he needs as long as he gets the guy out of his hair. That's the idea here. I say to you, and it will be given to you, seek, and you'll find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. So the idea of, of being persistent in prayer, well, I wanna give you an example of this. So turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 12, Persistent in prayer. And I'm going to read the, the first, all 10 verses, because uh, unless we read the first six, um, Paul's prayer won't be completely understood. So 2 Corinthians 12, um, Paul says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. But such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, we talk about the heavens, um, the birds flying around right now, we'll say that's the heavens. Then we have the sun, the moon, and the stars. We We talk about the universe, the galaxies, the Milky Way, and so on. That's another form of the heavens. This third heaven is another dimension. It is uh, where the throne of God is. It would be the same as Revelation uh, chapter four, where John says, I was caught up in the spirit, and there set before me was a throne. This would be the third heaven. So this is what he's talking about. So um, this is where Paul is taken. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, I always have to stop and pause here because this intrigues me. If you were taken to heaven 
and you were gonna give some sort of an assessment of what you saw or heard, and you come back and try to relate it to someone else, what Paul chooses to talk about is not what he saw, but what he heard. Now to me, I find that extremely interesting. I think, I think it would be what he saw, but he said, no, inexpressible words. And it makes me wonder what language are we going to speak in heaven? Is it going to be English? <laughs> is it going to be Hebrew? Um, when I used to go to uh, India and the southern state of Kerala, they speak Malayalam. And um, I said, this is the weirdest language I've ever heard because they're going 900 miles an hour. And they say, Dwight, get used to it because this is what you're going to be speaking when you get to heaven. It's going to be Malayalam. But he says, of such a one, um, I will boast. So it's what he heard. Yet I of myself will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I'm not going to be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But, but I forbear, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees I uh, mean to be or hears from me. In other words, he doesn't want you to think of himself any more than what he is because of the, of, uh, the fact that he was taken to heaven. Um, so that leads us up to verse seven. Because of this experience, it would have been very easy for Paul to begin to boast that God actually took him to the, to the third heaven, and he actually heard things that, that cannot be described or expressed in human language. So, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, <clears throat> a thorn was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Well, let's just stop and think this. We're actually talking. A messenger of Satan has to be a demonic force. Um... We just read the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from temptation and from the evil one. Uh, We'll be talking about demons in just a little bit here. But spiritual warfare, a lot lot of times, we don't talk about this because people will think we're weird if we talk about such things. Um, But you're buffeted more often with spiritual warfare than you realize, more often than than we probably realize. And it can take various forms from weird thoughts just popping into your head. You go, where in the world did that come from? You ever have one of those things? So at any given time, the the reason we're told to bring every thought into captivity, this is a very, very important verse. Because at any given time, you can have the Holy Spirit speaking to you. At any given time, you can have your own thought process and just mulling through things that are all you. And at any given time, you can be tempted. What is a temptation? Thoughts that come into your head that are ungodly. And the reason we're told to bring every thought into captivity is to say, without opening this first, we actually think, okay, what's going on here? Is this you, Lord? Is it me? Or is it the enemy? Now, in this case here with, with, um, with, with Paul, he clearly said that we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was, but it was demonic. Is that what your Bible says? 
a messenger of Satan to buffet me. What does that mean? Well, whatever it means, Paul didn't like it and he wanted it gone. That, w- that much we can agree on. But the reason that the Lord allowed it to happen is lest I would be exalted above measure. The Lord took Paul to heaven. The Lord gave Paul gifts. And unless he would take credit for them, the Lord allowed this thing to happen so he could be continually used by the Lord, keeping a state of mind of humility rather than, (laughs) maybe I'll write a book and go on tour, I could make a fortune off of this one. And that's sort of an attitude. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So what did we just read in Luke? The persistent uh, friend. The Lord said, this is how you pray, but be persistent. And if um, the idea of persistency here is um, there's times that the Lord uh, might actually um, say no to one of your prayer requests. I got something from McGee that I took from his notes concerning this. God is not asleep when he's talking, when you're talking to him about prayer. This is what this parable is saying. It is a parable by contrast and not by comparison. You do not have to storm the gates of heaven or knock down the doors of heaven in order to attract God's attention. God is not reluctant to hear and answer you. God tells us in Isaiah 65, it will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. God wants to hear and he wants to answer. Some people think that God does not hear and answer their prayers. Maybe they do not get the message. Sometimes God says no. You realize that? You pray for something and it's, the answer is no and that's the, not the message that you want. Um, our problem is that we don't like to take no for an answer but God always hears our prayers and answers them but when he says no, it's because we're not praying for what is best for us. And then he says, I've learned over the years that the answer God has given to some of my requests has been no. But we're still told to keep knocking, seeking, and asking that everything in God's prayer, and um, he will give you the very best. Let's finish this up here. Paul prayed three times. He was persistent. No answer the first time. No answer the second time. But Paul wanted to sing God, and the third time the Lord speaks to him, And he says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, that I am strong. Good place for an amen. Turn with me to James chapter four. Probably one of the worst 
doctrines out there today is a positive confession doctrine where the teaching is basically that there's power in your words. So when you pray, you gotta be careful how you pray because you have power in, um, well, we call it the name it and claim it or grab it and blab it, that sort of mentality. Uh, If that was true, whatever you prayed for, uh, if it doesn't come to pass, simply a result of your lack of faith. You didn't have enough faith, and therefore, that's the reason your prayer wasn't answered. Wow, could that lay a guilt trip on people, or what? <laughs> okay, parents, how many times have your kids come to you and say, Dad, can I do this? And you say, no. And then he goes to Mom. <laughs> Isn't that what happens? And you tell him, no, and you have a reason for it because it's not the best thing for him. So in James chapter four, um, first three verses, he says, where do your wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war is in your members? You lust, you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, so this is prayer here, you pray and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on yourself. So what loving parent is going to give a kid everything he ever asked for and what kind of kid is that going to turn out to? What kind? A very spoiled brat. That's the kind of kid that gets whatever he wants. So we understand that um, um, there's things that, that we pray for. Again, the danger in the positive confession movement is you make that positive affirmation and it needs to come to, come to pass. It turns, it turns our Heavenly Father into kind of like a Santa Claus, if you will. All right, let's go back to Luke. He continues on with the idea of Father knows best would be a good for the next three verses, 11, 12, and 13, we touched on his son Sunday. Now, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, well then how much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? So now the idea of what we really should be wanting and desiring is this communion that this disciple, when he was watching the Lord pray, he goes, I want that. And what it is is an idea of communion and fellowship um, that in the, in the context of desiring it. So unfortunately, the church in the times that we live in, um, they come up with the idea that everybody should be healthy, wealthy, and have whatever, whatever they want. But when I read my Bible, and I see what Paul went through in his adversities, and even when Paul prayed, the Lord said, sorry, not gonna give it to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let this thorn in your flesh. Now, I think thorns in the flesh can manifest themselves in different ways. And um, 
And I think the Lord allows them to stay there to keep us in, um, just like Paul, a place of still being able to be used. Another good place for an amen. All right. Um, we switch gears from that, 14 through 23 here. But some of them said, now remember it's the Lord is teaching that it wasn't only the disciples that were there. Um, Verse 14, he was casting out demons and it was mute, so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. So here's a person who had never spoken. Um, I grew up with a friend just down the block from us. He was deaf and dumb. He could speak a little bit, he could murmur, but basically it was all sign language. Bethany, you would understand him, I would not. <laughs> the only thing he got me to, to learn was something, I'm, I'm gonna embarrass myself in front of her because she knows how to do it, is uh, when we would wanna go water skiing. It was me and you go water skiing. And um, pretty sloppy, right, Bethany? <laughs> and pretty bad, <laughs> not, not too bad. But I could do that much because we had to get permission from his parents before we, we could go. So that's a way of doing it. So imagine my friend, um, and all of a sudden he could speak perfectly. So what they couldn't do here is they could not deny that the Lord had the authority to cast out the demons. So they had to come up, his critics had to come up with something to give a reason for the miracle that had just taken place, but without giving the credit to him as being from the Lord himself. So in verse 15, there were some of them there that said, well, he casts out the demons by Belzebub, the ruler of the demons, by the devil himself. But others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Guys, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. Uh, The devil's not gonna fight against himself. He's not gonna cast demons out of people that he wants demons in. Your your philosophy just isn't holding up here. Because you say, I cast out demons by a demon? And if I cast out demons by Belzebub, by whom do you, do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. They did not want to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet he was doing all the things that the Messiah would have been doing. And they were always good. The Lord never went around doing anything bad. He only went around doing that which was good. And it says the common people heard him gladly. It was the religious leaders who were losing their um, um, authority over the people because of Jesus. They were looking to the Lord instead of to these uh, hypocritical religious leaders. And so he says if it's being done by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. You're looking at the Messiah. When a strong man fully armed guards his own 
palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he tested and divides his spoils. And he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not scatter with, gather with me scatters. I want to just stop on this and make this personal. Do you realize that there's no either or in what was just said? Um, you're either going to gather or you're going to scatter. There's no in between. So which camp are you in by your life and the people that know you? Are you a gatherer or are you a scatterer? Do people look at your life and acknowledge that, um, as it goes on to say in the next verse here, um, well, I'll get to it just a, a, a bit here about um, um, con- being confessed before his Father in heaven. But really, that's what it boils down to. Our lives as believers, how we live it, how people watch us, all of it. We're either, by doing that, being an influence, light and salt, or by our lifestyle, um, or even by saying nothing. Um, We're actually scattering. So the Lord is dividing people into two groups here, either a gatherer or a scatterer. And then he says something that raises questions more than it gives answers. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, um, you would think that if a person is demon-possessed, there's some way that that demon was allowed to enter that person. There's a fine line there that I'm not going to try to teach on because I don't think the scriptures are really clear on it. I've talked to Basti about it. Um, They talk about demon possession down there. They call them good spirits and bad spirits, Um, just like everyday life to them down there. And... um, In this case, this unclean spirit, evidently of its own free will, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. Remember that a demon is nothing more than a fallen angel who is now a disembodied spirit. And that's why they wanted to dwell in the swine after being cast out of the man in the land of the Gadarenes. They pleaded, they didn't want to go to the Abuso or the abyss, cast us into the swine. So evidently, they seek habitation in some form of life form. And like I said, there's, this can raise a lot of questions. So he goes out seeking rest, but he finds none, and he says, I know, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order And then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So in in these um, uh, verses here through 26, um, it can be applied in a couple different ways. One could be to the nation of Israel itself. Again, I'm quoting McGee here. Um, reformation is not what is needed. Regeneration is what is needed concerning this um, story. Israel had swept her house clean through the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus. 
but she would not invite the Lord Jesus to occupy her. So this wicked generation would reach an even worse state as described in the parable. It makes me think of Mary Magdalene because it actually tells us the number of demons that were in her. There were seven. Makes me wonder, was there one at one time (laughs) and went out and decided to come back and now there's seven? I don't know, but it makes me think about it just because of, of the number of that seven there. I've always looked at this teaching here of a person... Um, let's say he's a drug addict, and he gets his act together uh, through um, a drug rehab program or an AA program, any program that you want to pick. But he does it outside the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. So he comes out, and he says, I'm clean. And he says, um, and they'll tell you how many years they've been clean and so on and so forth. Well, they've cleaned up their house. And to me, that's one of the most dangerous things that can ever happen. Because if you can, and the reason this is worse than before is because now the person might actually think um, that you know, I'm cleaning things up, I'm a pretty good guy. And he doesn't realize his need to be saved from his sins. Why? Because he did it through some program. Or he went to some place that helped him clean himself up. So the problem was gone and cleaned up, but in reality, what has happened is, that's why the Lord says that the the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to enter the kingdom of heaven before the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, what's the difference between a scribe and a Pharisee and a tax collector and a prostitute? Answer, A prostitute and a tax collector know they're sinners. The religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they thought they were pretty nice guys and they didn't see the need for repentance. And what I'm talking about right now is all about what we're gonna be talking about on Sunday. So just a little teaser for where where we're going there. So, um, 27 and 28, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, evidently she was blessed by the Bible study, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And now we're talking again about two classes and groups of people. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, which is just a couple pages back. Luke chapter 8, and let's pick it up in verse 19. Here is the, the breast that Jesus would have been raised on by Mary. Verse 19, then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to see you. But he answered and said unto them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So Mary believed, but none of his, um, there was at least five brothers and sisters that, that Jesus had. 
so much for the perpetual virginity, virginity of Mary. Does everybody know what I, I just said? That's Catholic doctrine that Mary was a perpetual virgin. No. She had brothers, Jesus had brothers, and at least two sisters. And we know the brothers by name. But they did not believe on him until after the resurrection, which blows my mind. <laughs> Imagine growing up in the same house with the Lord and um, them not believing on him. So here, he, he clearly points out, here's this woman who's really excited. Oh, Mary is so blessed, um, blessed, how blessed she must be. Let me give you the final words of Mary. It's in John chapter two. Jesus has just turned the water into wine and Mary's last words were, whatever he says, do it. So if you want to know what the, the final words of Mary are, is, is not, it's not about her, it's about him. And here the Lord is making it clear who really are his mother and brothers, but those who are hearing God's word tonight, taking it to heart and applying it to your life. Uh, he told the parable about the, um, the, the wise man and the fool. The wise man heard the word of God, did it. He had storms in life that came and went, but he stood because his life was founded on the foundation of God's word. And he said, but the foolish man can hear the same words but not apply them to his life, and he's still gonna go through the same storms and trials that everybody goes through in life, but he has no solid foundation. And when the storms hit, there's nothing there to to stand on. So you get hit with a storm. What do you do? Well, let's see, Romans 8.20. Better check, make sure it's still there. All things work together for good to those who are called by him and according to his purposes. He's working it to your good. Or a test. Um, 1 Peter 3, I think it's 1 Peter, no, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 3, that you are being tried right now with fiery trials to see how you're going to respond to the test. Do we like tests? No, it says tests seem grievous, don't they? Have you ever said, praise the Lord, I'm going through a fiery trial right now. This is glorious, I'm so glad, Lord, you're testing me. No, they're grievous. Let's go back to Luke chapter 11. So this woman who is, um, the Lord is simply correcting her by saying, no, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. All right, verses 29 through 32. We find, and while the Crowds were thickly gathered together. He began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Now he's going to liken himself to Jonah, not only by what we just read in verse 30. That's one thing but also as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he says, the queen of the south will rise up uh, in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, 
for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now we talked about Solomon on Sunday, the wisest man who ever lived. 3,000 Proverbs, 1,005 songs, the book of Ecclesiastes, the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, a wealthier and uh, his glory. We talked about the Queen of Sheba in detail. And here the Lord is making mention of her again, the Queen of the South, that would have been Queen of Sheba. Um, She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon And then the Lord says, indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Let's let's go to Jonah real quick. I hesitated whether to go to it, but it's really four chapters that are very, very short. And uh, it's in the Minor Prophets. It's right before Micah and right after Obadiah. So if you want to turn there quickly. The Ninevites were to be feared. They were brutal. People would commit suicide rather than wanting to be taken captive by them. They would put fish hooks in your nose They would drag you away. They were brutal. And um, God is going to judge them. So the first couple verses here, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittiah, saying, Arise, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Well, Joppa's still there. And I gotta tell you, it's one of the most beautiful, quaint cities. It's not like Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is metro. Um, Typical, modern city, not Joppa. Joppa, they've kept the quaintness. And you can walk along the seashore, and um, you can see the, the fishing boats coming in, and they got their nets spread out. Well, this is where Jonah went down to, to go to Tarshish. Um, he paid his fare and went down into it to go to them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, question. How do you run from God? <laughs> what does David say in Psalm 139? Oh Lord, where, where can I go from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and go to the farthest place on the planet, Your spirit's still there. How do you hide from God? Jonah, what are you thinking? So he's going to take off. So he's on his way to Tarshish, um, uh, which we get the word Britain from, some say, or Britannia. We're not sure. So to get the, the guy's attention, the Lord sends a great storm. And they were very afraid that they were going down. They started throwing out everything to lighten up the ship. That wasn't working. And um, um, they tell people to call upon their God, and the captain comes to Jonah, who's sleeping. He says, arise and call on your God. Perhaps your God will, will save us so that we will not perish. And they said one to another, come, let us cast lots. 
So they wanted to know where's the problem coming from, who's, who's the troublemaker, and why is this happening? And the lot fell on Jonah. And he says, okay, I'm busted. I give up. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm a servant of the Most High God. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything. Then they became really afraid. And um, I'm running away from them right now. Um, uh, and then they said to him, well, what shall we do so that the sea will be calm? And he said, well, all you have to do is throw me overboard and get rid of me, and you guys will be just fine. Uh, but they nevertheless would not do that. And so the men rode harder and harder, and finally they had no choice. Verse 15, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, offered sacrifices to the Lord, and they made vows. Ever been in that place? Oh, Lord, if you ever just get me out of this situation and I'll serve you. <laughs> I'll do whatever you want. Just get me out of this problem. And then the Lord does, and we don't. <laughs> now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. People say, you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Do you really believe that stuff? No, I believe that God prepared a fish for Jonah to be alive in. And it says here, not a whale, it just says a great fish in his belly. And it was in there, he says, that I cried out to the Lord because of the affliction, and he answered me. And there's a whole Bible study, guys, right here. You know, we're called by the Lord to do something. We go in the other direction. So we start having these afflictions sometimes, whatever, so the Lord can get our attention and tap us on the shoulder and say, what do you think you're doing and what direction are you going in? So he called out to the Lord because of my affliction. And I would dare to say most people come to Christ during times of difficulty or affliction. Not always. And it's not the Lord's first choice. Doesn't it say that he's willing that none should perish? Doesn't it say that it's the goodness of the Lord that leads men to repentance? But people don't always respond um, to the goodness of the Lord. Um, Just keep your finger right here, and we're gonna go to John 3, and I promise to come right back. Why don't people come to the Lord? Just go to John 3. Verse 19, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. People don't want to come to the Lord because they they prefer the darkness rather than the light. And often it takes affliction for them to get turned around. So when he comes to the end of himself, let's go down to verse seven. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercies. How true is that? But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Lord, uncle, I give up. 
You want me to go to Nineveh? Nineveh, here I come. (laughs) So the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out on dry land. I would give anything to see this one. (laughs) What did he look like when he came out? (laughs) Digestive juices eating away his clothes and skin? Don't know. But um, he gets up and um, he called on the Lord. I like this. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, aren't you glad that the Lord is the Lord of second chances? Good place for an amen. How about third chances? Fourth, fifth, yeah. Word of the Lord came a second time. Arise and go to the great city Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So he does. Goes Goes to Nineveh. He walks around it for 40 days and 40 nights and um, says, no choice here, you're gonna perish. Judgment is imminent, and God is going to destroy you. And it caused the king's heart to acknowledge everything that the prophet was saying was true about their sinful nature. And so in verse seven, he caused it, um, uh, the king arose, verse six, from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed throughout all of Nineveh by the decree um, to the nobles, let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God, And let every one of you turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is within his hands. What is repentance? That's one of the best definitions I can see. Turning from your evil ways. Your free will. Who can tell? Maybe God will change his mind and turn away from the fierce anger so that we will not perish. And God saw their works that they uh, turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster. And he as he said, he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And then Jonah said, praise the Lord, this is the best evangelical revival in world history, 100% confession repentance rate. It's never been done before in history. He's a happy evangelist. Now he is bummed out. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And he prayed, ah, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still in my country? I know you. Therefore, I previously went to Tarshish, for I knew that you are, and here we have the nature of our God. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me and let me die. <laughs> uh, for it is better for me to die than to, than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? So Jonah had a pity party, went out of the city, went up, and he sat and was just waiting. Maybe God will change his mind and he'll wipe these guys out. And the Lord had prepared a plant and it came up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head. 
I think his head was a little bleached because of the inside of the fish um, to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Thank you, Lord. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a, a, a strong east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant, Jonah? Are you all bent out of shape because this shade tree that I made for you is no longer here and now you're angry because of this plant? And he said, you darn right, I should be angry even to death. Jonah's quite a character. But the Lord said, you have pity on a plant on which you have not labored and made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in, in, the, in the night. Should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much livestock. Tells us a lot here. What he's talking about are children. You know, what age does a child know his right hand from his left hand? And there was 120,000 of them. He said, Jonah, you're having compassion on a plant, okay? And you're having no compassion? What about the animals? They're just animals. They're doing nothing wrong. And you're all compassionate about this plant, and you could care less about 120 young kids that are going to perish if I, if I did bring judgment. All right, this is going to have more impact now um, as we go back to Luke 11. When we read in verse 32, uh, I'll start 30. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will, will be to this generation. What was the sign? He preached repentance. And they repented. What did Jesus come doing? What was the first words that he said? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Step number one. Verse 32. Then the men of Nineveh will arise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. And lest I, and I will not, I do not want to, I was positive I would make it through chapter 12, uh, verses one through 12, but unfortunately I'm the only one here that was positive that I would make it that far. (laughs) And lest I have to rush through this, which I don't want to do because it's too good and too rich, amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, the importance of repentance, the importance of being persistent in prayer even when you say no, and when you do speak to us and give give us the reason why you're not answering a prayer, it may just be to keep us humble. It may just be to keep us usable. And Lord, unless we're in your word, and we stay away from the trends, the programs, the prosperity teachers who teach exactly contrary to the study that we had tonight, just the opposite. The importance that sometimes 
It's not the power of our words, but there's times that you simply say no because you know what's best for us. The importance of when we um, hear your voice, that still small voice, Lord, rather than praying vain repetitious prayers, Lord, let it be heartfelt fellowship that we have in you. Not so much talking about you or studying about you, but actually one-on-one with you. May we have, as we close tonight, Lord, the same desire in our heart that the disciple had when he saw you communing with your father. Lord, create in us that same desire um, that when you do come, that we will be able to say we know you and you'll be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, rather than depart from me because I never knew you. Lord, help us to know you and thank you that you reveal yourself not only through the Holy Spirit, but through your word that tells us that you're gracious and that you're long-suffering. You're not willing that any should perish. And um, we thank you for that nature. So, Lord, bless your people as we go tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, As we go back to Luke 11, when we read in verse 32, uh, I'll start 30. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will, will be to this generation. What was a sign? He preached repentance. And they repented. What did Jesus come doing? What was the first words that he said? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Step number one. Verse 32 Then the men of Nineveh will arise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. And lest I, and I will not, I do not want to, I was positive I would make it through chapter 12, Uh, verses 1 through 12, but unfortunately, I'm the only one here that was positive that I'd make it that far. (laughs) Unless I have to rush through this, which I don't want to do because it's too good and too rich. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, the importance of repentance, the importance of being persistent in prayer even when you say no, and when you do speak to us and give Give us the reason why you're not answering a prayer. It may just be to keep us humble. It may just be to keep us usable. And Lord, unless we're in your word and we stay away from the trends, the programs, the prosperity teachers who teach exactly contrary to the study that we had tonight, just the opposite, the importance that sometimes it's not the power of our words, but there's times that you simply say no because you know what's best for us. The importance of when we um, hear your voice, that still small voice, Lord, rather than praying vain repetitious prayers, Lord, let it be heartfelt fellowship that we have in you. Not so much talking about you or studying about you, but actually one-on-one with you. May we have, as we close tonight, Lord, the same desire in our heart 
that the disciple had when he saw you communing with your father. Lord, create in us that same desire um, that when you do come, that we will be able to say, we know you, and you'll be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, rather than depart from me because I never knew you. Lord, help us to know you, and thank you that you reveal yourself not only through the Holy Spirit, but through your word that tells us that you're gracious and that you're long-suffering. You're not willing that any should perish. And um, we thank you for that nature. So, Lord, bless your people as we go tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.